Hello, I'm Solange Marquez. Welcome to another episode of Mexico in Focus. Mexico is experiencing a significant political and institutional transformation. However, that change is not, as might be expected, a forward-looking change. It is a transformation towards the past, seeking to transport the country to the concentration of power and not achieve its development in the 21st century. Mexico's future depends on ensuring the government has a clear vision of what is needed to prepare the country for the future in an international context. It is not happening now. While starting this podcast, we try to find fascinating people in Mexico and Canada that can help us understand both countries' realities and discuss political, economical, and social issues. Our today's guest is an example of that. When thinking about political analysis and understanding of Mexican issues, there is one colossal voice we always need to hear. That is Luis Rubio. He not only understands Mexico's present, but he also describes the causes of our today's problems and uses them to foresee possible future scenarios. Hello, Luis. It is a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Solange. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for your kind introduction. Thank you, Luis. And congratulations on your new book. Let's talk about it. Let me start our conversation with a first question. Mexico is one of the most unequal societies globally, and little progress has been made in reducing inequality or increasing social mobility in the past. That was one of the central issues on the López Obrador electoral platform. The administration's current policies apply 20th century solutions to 21st century problems, as you explain in detail in your book. What are the consequences of that and the impact on Mexico's future? Well, the first thing is that inequality in Mexico has been deepened and made worse, largely because it has been hit by two forces. One is the old political system that still pervades a good part of Mexico's geography, particularly in the South, not exclusively, but particularly in the South. And second, by the trends uh, that have taken over the, the world at large, meaning by that the the ever bigger divide between the digital world and the traditional world. And those two forces have combined in Mexico in the last several years to create a much more unequal society than it was to begin with, which was already pretty bad. López Obrador sees the problem, understands that there's an issue, but doesn't know what the cause of the, the problem is, and therefore is trying to simply negate the digital era in which we, the human race, live, and is trying to recreate an old past in which, in his mind, things worked better. Meaning by that, where the government ruled, when government spending fueled economic growth, and where regional disparities were much less because there were uh, there were no connections with the rest of the world and there were no divides like the digital divide of the past three or four decades. So what are the consequences of that? That is, uh, paradoxically, it is going to deepen the, 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 the inequality. The pandemic has further deepened the divide. 
and created a much more unequal turf in which people can thrive and has deepened the poverty levels of the more unequal parts of Mexico and everything that is related to basic labor, which still is the characteristic of probably two thirds of, of Mexicans at large. So this will have, first of all, enormous social consequences because the, 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 the differences in society are, are getting worse. And second, because uh, also because of the pandemic, education is lagging much more in the worst parts of Mexico than in those relatively better off. So in the long term, there will be social circumstances that, that will uh, impede Mexicans from becoming better in the future. There will be political consequences, I have no doubt, uh, that will be seen in, in the electoral realm, but it will also, because of the levels of, of confrontation and political um, conflict that pervades the country. And finally, there will be economic consequences because the country will not be able to recover economically in, in a long time, largely because the government is making it very difficult for private investment, particularly Mexican, to thrive. By, and it's doing so by, by not creating rules that are uh, fair, clear, and that the government abides by. Yeah, thank you. It's, it is something paradoxical that in 2018, people voted against that exactly, against corruption, poverty, and inequality. You have said, and I agree, that they were right. People were right voting against those problems. However, government solutions may be wrong while looking just for the responsible ones and not reaching the roots of the problem itself. What are the roots that you refer in your book? Well, uh, I think that the government, uh, the president, uh, when in campaign, was dwelling on the right problems, like the ones you mentioned, like poverty, inequality, lack of, uh, of enough growth. Um, but he did not make a good diagnosis, and therefore his policies do not match the needs of society. Just to give one example, the average growth of the Mexican economy for the past 30, 35 years has been 2%, which is well below what it should be. But that's an average. If one looks at the different parts of Mexico, there are several regions that are growing at Asian Uh, rates, meaning seven, seven and a half percent. And they've been doing so for seven, for, for 45, 50 years, which means that they've, their economies have doubled and tripled and, 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 and multiplied ever more. While other parts of Mexico have stagnated, if not gone back or, or done worse. The averages don't tell us much. So if the policy of the president is to try to dampen those that have done well rather than trying to bring up those that are that have done terribly bad then the results are going to be horrendous and that's what's happening it's not that his the diagnosis or the identification of the problems was wrong it is that the policies that he's implementing have nothing to do with the causes of those problems or those ills so the consequences are very obvious the president is simply eliminating or, 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 or neutralizing key institutions that made it possible or at least were created to make possible for Mexico's economy to thrive, which made the economy far more complex than the president ever imagined it is or, or he understands it is. And therefore, his policies 
have the effect of creating an enormous crisis of confidence for investors who are the only ones who can create conditions and ultimately for the economy to grow, thrive, and, and, and give opportunities to the people. So this becomes a vicious circle. Rather than being the, the opportunity for the country to break away from where, where uh, it was, it is, it is deepening the roots of the problem, of the problems. I, in the book, I identified three big issues. One is the enormous dysfunctionality of the Mexican political system, largely a, a, a system of government that was created in the, at the end of the 19th century, and it has not changed significantly, which is uh, ridden by interest uh, groups, by vested interests that have, uh, that are, are clung to the past and they, they have enough power to make it difficult, if not impossible, for anything to change. Second, the incompatibility of the president's vision with the, the, the 21st century. He wants to recreate the, the 20th century and that's simply not, not possible because everything has, has changed. And third, the, the destruction of institutions uh, is a necessary uh, procedure for him to accomplish because his objective is incompatible with today's reality and with the existence of those institutions. Meaning by that, that he wants to concentrate power because he wants the government to make decisions rather than society and, and the market to make decisions. And the result is a clash between the new institutions with his old vision. So Mexico ultimately confronts a big dilemma and a very fundamental dilemma, which is uh, which has been exacerbated by the pandemic. And that dilemma is as simple as, as follows. It, either Mexico joins fully into a democratic arena with a, an economy that is market-based, or it has to return to an authoritarian structure of government because otherwise things will not be uh, compatible, things will not be manageable in the near future. And that, I think, is the big the big question, the big dilemma, the big challenge for Mexico in the near future. And it is one that will affect also our two neighbors to the north, the United States and Canada. Yeah, I, I get it. You have said in your book that the political system has not changed in the direction the country needed to face the challenges that global world brings. As you said, it is not a problem exclusively of this government. It is a problem that came from the past. But the, the policies of the current government have increased them. So I would like to know your opinion. The demolition of some of Mexico's liberties and institutions continues, even after the midterm elections, which results might compromise the consolidations of López Obrador transformation. Do you consider it could be any political radicalization in the coming years of the of his government? Um, the president uh, did not uh, did not win the elections. Um, he did not lose that badly either. What he lost was the the disgruntled part of of Mexico's middle class, which uh, didn't didn't vote for him dismantling all these institutions and for him damaging the economy the way he has done, um, also for him mismanaging the pandemic so so badly. But his response cannot be the one that radicals want, simply because the president has one very keen uh, idea in his mind, and that is that if he 
loses control of the government's finances, he will lose not only his um, place in history, and that's one important concern uh, for him in, in, in his mindset, but also the he he by if if he if he uh, goes beyond what's possible financially, he would produce an enormous devaluation, and that would damage the economy badly. The consequence of that is that he has limited himself in what he can do, since he does not have no no longer has uh, the control of of the Congress the way he did in his first three years. He now has only the possibility of pursuing and prosecuting people who are enemies of of his own, and that's the route that he's taking. Uh, he's he's beginning to prosecute uh, and using the, the the allegedly independent judiciary to prosecute um, a political foes, uh, some people in business, some people in the unions, and the like. Many may deserve to be prosecuted, but the way these prosecutions have taken is not one that follows the, the, the rules, not the one that follows the laws, but one that follows politics. And that's what I think is, is severely damaging. He's radicalizing his, his discourse, his speech, his, his rhetoric. He's radicalizing his actions in the political and judicial arena, but not in the economic one. Okay. Uh, do you think he's doing this just looking for the next election, that he's starting all these prosecutions against opposition leaders and political enemies, thinking about 2024? Do you think he and his party, Morena, may have a chance to win the 2024 presidential election? Well, on the last part, on the 2024 election, uh, I think that, that all bets are off. Uh, first, it will depend on on what, how well or poorly his government ends, and that's still uh, an open question. There, it's not inconceivable that there will be too many bad things happening from here to there uh, for that to be very, very difficult. The second issue is whether there will be a candidate or candidates um, that are capable of really, truly contesting power uh, against the president's party, but it, because it's not inconceivable that there will be no uh, figure that is uh, adequate enough to compete against the president because the, the opposition parties have been badly damaged. Uh, they are now mostly working in, in unison, trying to have an alliance to field one candidate, but it's going to be difficult to field one single candidate that all can agree with, unless that candidate uh, comes from, not from the traditional political parties, but from other quarters in society. And, and not, no, no obvious figure today has emerged with those, with those traits. Um, and the third issue is that, uh, that the pandemic uh, has created a circumstance that makes it very difficult to, to conduct uh, competitive elections or competitive races for, for, the, for the election. So on, on the 2024 uh, election, the, the all bets are off and it's going to be a very interesting and complex process to, to follow. On the other part of your question, the next uh, three years are going to be initiated by a debate that will take place as early as, as this, the end of this week, once, once the new Congress is installed on September 1st. 
uh, on the so-called revocation of mandate, which is the president wants to have uh, in, in early in 2022 on on uh, whether the people want to him to stay in power, which is an odd thing to do for a president who has been appointed in a, in a presidential system for six years. Nonetheless, that's that's one of the things that he wants to get uh, done. And then there will be there's there's an ambitious agenda for the next uh, three for the next three years that has to do with also his uh, attempt to control the two uh, looming fundamental political institutions of Mexico, which are the electoral the the electoral uh, national electoral institute and the electoral tribunal, both of which uh, have enormous legitimacy, particularly the electoral institute which is the one that organizes elections and manages them totally independent from the government. Uh, but the president wants uh, to, to, uh, to punish the members of, of, of the board of that institution. And in so doing, he wants to, to change it and to su subordinate it to his objectives and, and interests. So it's going to be a very uh, conflict-ridden next uh, three years in the legislative arena. On the other side, on the other hand, there, it's going to be uh, three years in which the president uh, will not be able to get away with everything he wants the way he did in the previous three years. And that is an enormous advantage over, over the past. Okay, I, I, I understand that it is that is in the political arena, but how this political game that he's uh, starting to play uh, now that he doesn't have enough uh, majority in the, in the Congress... How this is going to affect the investment environment in Mexico? What are the challenges for for investors for the next three years? Well, there are two types of investors in Mexico. One uh, are the domestic investors. The other is foreign investors. Foreign investors come under the the uh, the umbrella of the of the of USMCA. Uh, of the trilateral uh, treaty that replaced NAFTA, uh, that that agreement provides some clear clarity of, for rules of the game for investors, particularly foreign investors. In contrast with NAFTA, at least for American investors, this no longer the USMCA no longer provides uh, guarantees uh, of protection for investors in indust in the industrial arena. It does provide. Uh, guarantees in the energy arena or in, in services in general. So that has put many uh, foreign investors uh, up for uh, serious um, reassessment of, of whether investments in Mexico make sense. For domestic investors, there are no rules that, uh, that apply the way the, this, for this uh, trilateral trade treaty uh, works simply because domestic investors are dependent on the whim of, of an administration. Something has been typical, uh, historically driven in, in, in Mexico. Uh, how the president will, will deal with this is, is a very uh, important question, but it's, there are no obvious answers to that. He claims he wants investment, but on the other hand, he, wants, he changes the rules quite frequently. Uh, the rules are not applied uh, the same way uh, every every time, and then there have been some changes in some constitutional amendments in the past 
three years in the previous uh, congressional session that have yet to be validated by the Supreme Court, but the president has made it possible for the Supreme Court not to act on those. And some of those are particularly uh, serious, uh, of serious interest to investors. I'm going to simply mention two that, that are uh, very descriptive of, of, the, of the complexity of the problem. One is that, that, the, that the tax authorities can put somebody in jail, either a person who owes taxes or a, a member or a, a corporate director or member of a board of a company, if the, the tax authority decides that the, that, that person or corporation might have violated a law. This can be done. Can, somebody can be imprisoned without a, 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 a tribunal, without the judge having been part of the decision. Another example of the same, which is an extension of this, is that the, the same tax authorities can apply eminent domain and expropriate and sell a property uh, without a judge having intervened. And, and without having proven that, that that person or corporation actually violated the tax laws or violated some other uh, uh, law or, or, or ruling. The point is simply that, that investors and taxpayers in general have been put against the wall with these two legislations, and the Supreme Court has not ruled on them and has not ruled on them because the president has exerted pressure on the, on the court. So this has become a vicious circle. So these kinds of, of, of legislations that were passed in the past, in the previous three years, when Morena, the president's party, had uh, an enormous qualified majority in the, in the lower house of Congress and was able to get away with some of these changes in the Senate, create a, a, a framework of, of, uh, for operations of, of private companies that are not necessarily uh, to the satisfaction of, of investors for obvious reasons. Okay. Uh, you currently point out that the current urgency of Mexico and post-pandemic Mexico is economic recovery. However, you also clarify in your book that the combination of the pandemic and distrust of the government have changed the political logic to to an extent that a new political arrange, arrangement is required to move, move for, forward. So how how do you envision that arrangement? Um, that's a that's a, a great question and a very important one. Uh, what what happened in the past three decades was that there was a gradual buildup of institutions, institutions such as uh, first the electoral institutions that I already mentioned, but then then institutions like the the uh, the Energy Regulatory Commission. Um, which is not very well known by all Mexicans, but is critical for those in the energy field. Uh, like similarly for the Competition Commission or the Telecommunications Commission, these these entities were meant to be factors that limited the president's power in a country where the president is enormously powerful. What Lopez Obrador proved was by eliminating or neutralizing these institutions, he proved that his predecessors had the power to eliminate these institutions, but decided not to. And if an institution can be removed by a president, then then it is not an independent institution. It's not 
a, a, a strong institution. So the future requires institutions that are credible, institutions that are viable, institutions that do limit the powers of the presidency. And that is the big challenge for Mexico. In, in the 1980s, the, the then, uh, then president this, uh, realized and understood this challenge and this problem, and he realized that people would not invest unless there were conditions and institutions strong enough to guarantee those investments. And that's why Mexico sought out NAFTA. Mexico went out to the U.S. to, to, uh, to ask for a, it is in, an arrangement similar to the one that Canada had, had then negotiated with the U.S., the, the, the U.S.-Canada Free Trade Agreement. And Mexico wanted something similar in order to have political and institutional guarantees that investors would be safe and would have safeguards strong enough for, for, for them to invest in, in Mexico. So Mexico, what, what happened was that Mexico understood or the president then understand, understood that, that Mexico did not have the conditions, the domestic conditions for, for, to, to develop strong and credible institutions for investors. Now with NAFTA's demise, the problem is how to create something like that domestically because USMCA no longer provides those guarantees because Trump didn't want to provide those guarantees. So the, the future will depend on the ability of future Mexican administrations to create a framework, an institutional framework of that, that, that provides trust and, and stability and credibility to investors that the rules of the game will be applied fairly, that the rules will not be changed and that there will be no um, no expropriations that are unwarranted or uh, that, that did not follow a proper um, uh, due process. How to do that requires an, a, a political, domestic political negotiation that, that, uh, that is credible enough for everybody to jump on board. And that's something that is not going to be very, very easy. So, so that's, that's I, th- I believe, the biggest challenge, the most important challenge, and the most fundamental question mark for the future of Mexico. That's interesting. Luis, finally, talking about these changes we need to see in Mexico, the midterm elections result for López Obrador, as you correctly pointed out, was not a triumph. Still, he did not lose completely either. You talk about Mexico's dilemma between a democratic and an authoritarian government. Do you think the risk for an authoritarian rise has passed already? No, I think that um, that we've, we're seeing a backtracking on on all these democratic institutions and all these democratic practices that that had been brewing in the past several years. Um, we are seeing a, a government that is ever more intrusive. We are seeing that these rules, like the ones I mentioned on on, on imprisonment without. Uh, the the participation of a judge. Um, all these elements are clearly intimidating to the press, are intimidating to the media, are intimidating to investors. So that simply means that Mexico is moving in the direction of more authoritarian or a more authoritarian st- structure of government. Whether that remains true in after 2024 is, I think, the biggest question. 
as long as these new rules remain in the books, then um, those risks are there and, and things will go in, in the wrong direction. But the biggest, the biggest uh, news and the best, most positive news for the future is one very simple. It doesn't matter who the next president will be, whether a man or a woman, whether from the Morena party or from the opposition. The biggest difference from any of those potential candidates, whether known or unknown at this stage, uh, with the current president is that they all would be people from the 21st century, whereas Lopez Obrador is a person of the 20th century. So any of those other individuals, some may be more likable, some less likable, whatever, all those individuals understand that we live in the digital era. All those in, understand that education is absolutely critical. All those understand that curtain private investment is necessary. It doesn't happen just by chance. All those individuals will be far more willing and understanding of the needs of the 21st century. Now, the challenges to get there are not going to be easy, particularly because of the precedents set by the, by, by the current uh, uh, presidency of López Obrador. But, but the good news is that, that they will have to deal with that and they, they all understand that they have to do that. So that changes the equation quite radically. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, I and and I think uh, it it was it will be a challenge for for everyone, even even for the candidates coming from the from Morena party. Uh, it it it. I I I think in another in another question. Sorry, Luis, but I I would like to ask your opinion about the the legislative priorities of the president and his party for the new legislature that that they started yesterday. Um, there, the, there are, there are three main issues that he wants to address. One is this, uh, electoral institutions, which he wants to, uh, subordinate and, and control. He wants to punish them. That's really the, the right word. The second one is energy. He wants to turn into law, um, his, the policies that he's been enacting gradually, meaning limiting private sector investment particularly in electricity, but also in, in, in oil. In oil, uh, he doesn't like the, the reform that took place a few years back, but the government controls granting new contracts uh, for uh, exploration and exploitation of resources. So the, 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 the big decision early on in this administration was simply to eliminate those contracts, and that was it. But he wants to turn into law. These two, these two changes, which which is going to be a, create a conundrum because the government does not have the resources, the capabilities, or the technology to to carry out this um, the, the, the to to run the the two entities, oil and, and and electricity. But that's a different story. And the third uh, era that he wants, the three, the, the third issue that he wants to address is this uh, that I mentioned the. Um, the ratification of mandate or revocation of mandate. The, the big discussion now is whether it's going to be revocation or ratification of mandate. He's, he's, the president is probably worried that, that he might be revoked. So he wants to turn the question into a ratification of mandate. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. But I, I, I was thinking about, uh, about the, what you said for the, the next, uh, president, whoever will be, um, And he's going to, he or she is going to face 
these changes that the president wants to make in the next three years. So he's going to face the consequences of these changes if, uh, if the president is uh, able to, to make it. So, yeah, I think it's important to think and to see what is going to happen with the new legislature and the next three years in the Congress. Yeah, you, you, you pose a very important issue because uh, the president, uh, in order to, he, he personally is a master tactician, but he's, he's a lousy, lousy strategist. In order to solve one problem, he unveiled the names of the potential successors, but in so doing, he undermined his own administration. So whether the, the, the potential candidates within his, his party will try to, uh, to, to water down or or do away with the with the president's bills and initiatives in the Congress is a very interesting question. I really doubt that because in order for them to become candidates, they will have to at least pay um, uh, lip service to to him, and I don't think they will be willing to undermine that. They, thinking that they could always turn back and and to the Congress and change the laws once they are in power. But, the, but, but you point to a very important question. Thank you so much, Luis. Well, thank you so much for this. It was a fantastic, uh, amazing conversation. I hope we, we had more time, uh, but, but thank you. And I hope we can talk about uh, another, another topic later, later on. Thank you for the opportunity so much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to us on this episode of Mexico in Focus. You can get in touch with me on social media. My Twitter is Solange underscore. And you can find me at Solange Marquez on LinkedIn. Remember, if you like this conversation, please subscribe to the podcast. I'm Solange Marquez, and I hope you can hear us on the next edition.